Hello to all of you out there. I am Ulrike Seminati, host of the podcast, Empowering Female Leaders, for women who want to thrive. Every week you will get new perspectives, exciting insights, and empowering messages of women from all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Empowering Female Leaders. I am pleased to welcome today Miriam Maimer. She has been a coach and facilitator for over 20 years, dedicating her life to studying the overlap between business and psychology. Miriam has coached founders and executives at hundreds of companies, including a dozen $1 billion companies. She works one-on-one -on -one with senior leaders, facilitates team offsites, and develops customized leadership development journeys for leaders at all levels. Her specialty is in helping people unlock the next level of performance while maximizing authenticity. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and have this conversation with you. Yes, absolutely. And we will go into an ever-burning topic because so many people around the world struggle with that, more or less. It's about how can we source authentic and sustainable confidence? And what I would like to know from you, first of all, is this distinction between authentic, non-authentic confidence. How do you define that? Yeah, for me, authentic is it's rooted in who I really am. I'm not being performative. I'm not faking it until I make it, which sometimes we need to do. Sometimes we just got to show up and pull ourselves into a situation and do the best we can. And so Those moments are important, but they're fleeting. It's not a sustainable source of confidence. And so for me, authentic confidence means it's rooted in my truth. It's it, the experiences I've had in my life, my personality, my genuine and sustained strengths. And so, well, we can go a bit into how to understand what that is and source it a bit more. But to me, that's the major distinction. And it sounds like something more sustainable as well, obviously then. But sustainability and confidence, I realize, is something that is rather difficult. It's not easy to develop confidence in the first place. But once you have it, it's not like, wow, now I have it forever and it's fine because you fall back into these old patterns. Do you see it the same? Yes, that's that, that absolutely is true. Yes, we have... There are different patterns inside of us that are working against us, including our inner critic... And we can dive into that a bit more, but there are a lot of things working against us. And so to have sustainable confidence, it means strengthening the part of us that believes in ourselves. And so there's a whole process that, that is required in order to be able to first tap into that authentic confidence and then sustain it. And usually it's for longer and longer and longer periods. It doesn't mean that we won't ever have a lapse in confidence But it means that we will start to trust the confidence more than we tr trust the lack of confidence. And when the lack of confidence is there, instead of relating to that as, oh, this is normal, this is how I move through the world, this is going to last forever. Instead, we say, oh, this is interesting. I haven't felt this in a while. Oh, I wonder what might be going on. And we can get curious because we've strengthened our connection with ourselves. Whatever we believe shapes our reality. So we have the idea 
And and most people have this absolute conviction that what they think and what they see is the reality. Whereas if you ask your neighbor, your best friend, or anyone else who is living this a similar situation, they will see a different reality because we all have our belief system that evaluates it in different ways. And what you said before is, I think, probably one of the key topics around confidence. It's about how you see confidence as such, but also how you see yourself and your relation towards confidence. I like what you said, to have trust in your confidence. Beautiful. <laughs> and it's yeah. in English because in most languages, trust and confidence is one word. So, <laughs> uh, Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, because I also speak Spanish and it is the same in Spanish, trust and, and confidence. But in English, it's not. But really, that's so, so helpful that you pointed that out is for English speakers, for us to be able to trust in ourselves. That's the same thing as having confidence. Yeah. Well, how do you start that process? Because I guess people think, great, but how do I get that? Because that's exactly what I'm lacking. I have no trust mm -hmm. in my confidence and I don't have the trust in myself either. And I don't believe that I can really become someone confident in most of the situations in my life. What is the first step? Where do you start? I believe that confidence is a track record of success. If I have tangible data that I can track over the course of my life or my career, and I can point to it and I can say, I have been successful in these moments and in these ways, and I, I can look back and it's sustained, then I can start to feel genuine, more sustainable confidence. So usually what I'm doing for myself or others is literally doing an audit of my life of how, what in my life has set me up to be successful in this moment. And I, I think it's absolutely fair to go as far back as we want. There's been moments in my introduction, you said that I've been a facilitator for 20 years, and that is absolutely true. I've actually been facilitating much longer. So when I was in my 20s, I referenced back to being a teenager and how I was facilitating adults. And it was very helpful for me to remember, even in my 20s, that I already had a decade of experience facilitating. Now, I don't reference my teenage facilitation much anymore because I'm really leveraging a lot of experience I have in the, in the quote unquote professional world. But in my 20s, starting out, I really needed to feel like I wasn't at the beginning of my learning curve. I needed to remember that I had been doing it a long time. Not only had I actually been in the front of the room facilitating, I had even earlier in my life, very early, I was always listening to people. And it was one of my coping mechanisms. It was a survival instinct, but it helped me hone an ability to track what was going on around me. I could listen very carefully to what was happening. Growing up, my mom just had, she had anxiety and depression. So her ability, how she would react to a situation was not consistent. I couldn't expect that if I did one thing one day, she would smile and celebrate it. And at the same action the next day, she would either ignore it or react differently. So I started to become a student of my surroundings. And remembering that I had done that my whole life helped me feel set up for success. It helped me remember the tools at my disposal regardless of what was coming at me, I knew that I could very effectively gauge what was happening around me in a way that most people can't because they haven't been doing it their whole life. And the same is true for every person listening. There's been some, there's been a series of actions and behaviors they've been doing their whole life. And then there's things that they've chosen to put themselves into positions of to gain experience. 
most of us forget that. We minimize that. We put it behind us and we focus on moving forward. And we think this is the biggest job I've had my whole life or the biggest opportunity. And that's when we are at our least confident. And it's not that it's untrue that we might be facing something that's different or it might feel bigger than what we've experienced in the past. And I believe that imposter syndrome is really the gap between perceived expectations and perceived ability. So what I want to do is for everybody to increase their perceived ability and decrease the perceived expectations and realize that if we break things down, even if you're in the, facing a challenge, if we break it down into smaller pieces, these are pieces that you've done before. You've done them not just once or twice. You've done them many, many, many times. And the more we can break it down and normalize that you should be feeling like you're facing the biggest thing of your life. That's what it's called getting outside our comfort zone. Those of us who are high performers and we're driven humans and female leaders, we push ourselves outside our comfort zone. And that's okay. We just want to be able to feel like we're still connected to our true selves, even in when we're outside our comfort zone. You need to have a track record of your life, looking back over the past year, the past 10 years or whatever you want, and seriously acknowledge what you have achieved and embrace that achievement as well. What I realize with my clients is that many struggle a lot with acknowledging that there is anything difficult in that. You certainly know that as well. When you listen to your client and when you ask them about their achievements over the past 12 months, for example, and for every single achievement, they find a sentence like, yeah, but it was really easy to achieve that. And the word easy that pops up very, very often is like completely under-evaluating the achievement. And this is where it comes to this perceived ability, because then you perceive your ability as low because you think, but it was so easy. So it's not really because I'm really good at that. So it doesn't increase your confidence as long as you think like that. Coming back to this reality piece, what you think is the reality? Is the reality the low capability or is it actually a really special capability? How do you help people to just start understanding the full scope of what they are achieving and capable of? Yeah. Well, that's a big one. I I see people paralyzed in many moments and, and, and I know you do too. And so working with them on that I remember being early in my career and I was my worst critic. I really was. I would so often replay in my mind what I did or said. And I would, similar to what you're describing, I would minimize the things I'd done well. I'd really focus on what I should have done better or different. And there was a, there was a flavor of perfectionism. And in some ways that really forced me to be great in some ways and, and become exceptional. That's good. We all, I think literally everybody listening to this has some version of that, of pushing ourselves. But if I had not learned to let go of that inner critic and balance it and start to be a champion of myself as much or more as a critic of myself, then I would never feel confident. It's just not possible because like you're saying, we're shaping our realities. And so what we focus on really shapes our sense of identity. And if I'm always focusing on what I should have done better or could have done differently, then I will always be focused on the gap or the delta between my current performance and what I judge to be good. And so I really think we need to start balancing, shifting that balance. And I remember telling myself one day, this is partly thanks to one of the coaches I was working with, but I remember telling myself, I'm going to start 
believing it when people tell me I do a good job. And that was something I had never done before. I had always taken negative feedback and given it a heavy weight. And then positive feedback, I, I, I just didn't weight it at all. It was fleeting. I didn't give it any credence. And so when I shifted that, I said, I'm going to start believing positive feedback more than I believe negative feedback. And that goes for the colleagues that I'm working with, as well as it goes for my inner voice. I'm going to start focusing and amplifying the positive voice in my head and softening or quieting the critic. And that's there to help me. Of course, I always want to be in a growth mindset. But if I don't start to quiet that critic into a whisper, this isn't going to be very much fun. It's like my journey as well. I was the same and I still am. As we said in the beginning, making it sustainable, it always comes back. It's the natural yeah. way of being that you have inside of you. And you really need to watch out for this inner critic, for all these diminishing voices that are yeah. telling you it was easy. That was not really a great achievement. Right. Yes. Yes. Because language is powerful. And starting to notice what are those messages. And that's what they people get when they're working with you, that you get to hold up a mirror to them and help them understand these are the th types of things that I've been saying to myself every day. And as especially as female leaders, we're so used to needing to adapt to the environments that we're in, or very often we're looking for how do I need to be in order to be successful here? And we're modeling our behavior off of whatever we see in our leaders. Most and there's a just a long a, a long history of those being male leaders, and so we abandon ourselves and try to become more masculine or adopt the behaviors we think other people want to see in us in order to believe that we are promotable. And ironically, it doesn't work. To a certain degree, it helps us kind of get into a conversation. But so often I'm working with people and telling them what got you here won't get you there. It's time to let go of that performative leadership because it isn't sustainable. Now it's time to tap into your authentic leadership, which really comes from knowing yourself and trusting yourself and then seeing what emerges. There's a little bit more of a, a surprise factor for authentic leaders because you don't really know what's going to come out of your mouth. You don't really know what matters or what you care about. You let it emerge in the moment rather than being so planned and prescriptive. And what you say is super important and it needs a lot of courage to do that because yeah. we feel safe by, like you say, modeling the behavior of others that are already successful in the same organization and just a level or two higher than we are. And we think, if I do that, I'm safe. And if I do that, I can make a career. But the problem is that if you do that, A, you're never satisfied with yourself. You're harming your self-confidence even more. Even if you are in the top position of the company, you're still harming your confidence because you believe you're an imposter. Because what you said, you increase the gap between your perceived ability versus the perceived expectations because you set them so high. And last but not least... We miss out the true potential of diversity because then if women do that, they leave at the doorstep of the office, the let's call it female traits, even if that's not an exhaustive list of these, obviously, but there are different perspectives that then they're not brought in anymore because we think we have to fit in. If I put now the two things together that we have just seen, one is how do I build the confidence as such by, by tracking my achievements, by acknowledging my achievements. 
And on the other side, can I take a conscious decision? If I want to move up into the next role, can I stay authentic and I take the risk that I don't know what's happening? How will people react to my authentic self if I stay in that place, in the other position? Uh, now, I can imagine that many say, okay, that means, first of all, I have to increase my confidence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then they will start increasing it forever and never making that step. <laughs> because they always think, oh, I need more, I need more, I need more. How, yeah. what's, what's the trigger? How can we motivate ourselves if we are in this position to step into this unknown, to be courageous, to go for ourselves in a new role without knowing if we fail or not, without safety net, actually? How, yeah. how can we make this step? Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh you describe it with a lot of levity. And I, I'm grateful for that because I think the more we can approach these deep challenges with levity, the more likely we are to make progress. And that said, I think for a lot of us, it's very painful to be in those moments of feeling like I want to put myself out there, but it's so hard. And I just, it's, yeah. So thank you for the question. First of all, just a bit of a reflection. Oh, just taking a breath and, and feeling into all the people on the planet going through that right now. So if you are one of those, you are not alone. I believe it's helpful for, I guess, one of the, the steps I take is looking at the people at, particularly for those who want to get to another level, objectively looking at what are they doing in their career? Or how are they moving through the world? Or what are they doing in terms of their jobs? And, and being able to accurately, so this is taking the emotion out and trying to objectively measure, do I feel like I can do that? And asking for feedback of, is there anything that would, uh, do you feel like if I was in that position today that I wouldn't be able to do well? And start to gather evidence that uh, for our case, essentially, that we are ready. And so it's a bit of a workaround. If we're not yet feeling confidence, there is still courage in it because we're putting ourselves out there. But it's you, creating thought experiments for other people with, is, is essentially planting seeds and asking them to envision us in those roles. And so asking whoever it is, your manager, your colleagues, your peers, whoever knows you well, Imagine me in a role at a higher level. Is there anything that you would feel like I wouldn't yet be ready to do? Are there any areas where you feel like I still need to develop? And either they're going to say yes, and they're going to give you some very helpful feedback. And sometimes if we're, our inner critic's too loud, it's really hard to take that feedback in and act on it. We get defensive. But this is where it, there's resilience and strength required to accurately filter what they're saying. Are they actually pointing to a development area that I need to work on or not? And if not, then let's be honest, I'm ready. And then rather than get frustrated that it hasn't happened earlier, which can also happen, uh, people get stuck in being mad that it hasn't happened sooner instead of just thinking, okay, now it's time. And it can happen in your current organization or another organization. There are definitely systems where we will feel more empowered and systems where we will feel less empowered. And I think it's really important for us all to remember we are at choice. We do not have to stay where we are. It might feel like we do, but we do not. There are plenty of places, plenty of managers, plenty of opportunities. And the just remembering we're at choice usually helps spark that sense of, yeah, I don't have to stay. Wait, I have a lot to offer. They're lucky to have me. Is this where I want to be? 
And it becomes more of an equal exchange conversation rather than me feeling like I have to prove myself. It takes quite a level of self-awareness around, I think, around our competencies, as you said. Just look at some facts. You're capable of doing these and these things. So you have these capabilities. But on the other side, also this emotional awareness. Am I diminishing that? Am I just believing I'm not good enough or not? When women send in their CV for a job, they think they need to have 80, 90, better 100% of all the requirements fulfilled, whereas men do it with 50, 60% or something like that. I think the rest are all managed somehow, yeah, played by ear. Yeah. And that is exactly the point. We under-evaluate ourselves so heavily. What I like to say to my clients, I don't know if you do that as well, is this, you said it a bit by asking for the feedback, but stepping into the shoes of a person who really appreciates you because they see you in a different light mm-hmm. and that's their reality. They don't think that they're over-evaluating you. They think that this is the truth. They just think that you're not able to see it. And to making a conscious decision between your own perspective, which is diminishing potentially your efforts and your impact, and another perspective who is very that's very positive and deciding, okay, I can also decide that the reality is the other perspective. Would you say that this is lying to yourself? Or would you say, no, this is just actually a shift in your, yeah, in your perception? I think it's a healthy evolution of our perceptions of ourselves. I think it's very healthy. The more we cling to our sense of self that we've created for better or for worse in in the face of feedback, that is holding ourselves back. I think that's a beautiful exercise is to think about people who think well of us and start to believe them when they tell us that they see in us potential or they are our biggest fans. And I love that of what would it feel like to think that of myself. And it takes a bit of of time to warm up to it, to expand into it. But really, that's just our nervous systems catching up to the reality of our wisdom and our experience and our ability to lead. And that's exactly what you said in the beginning, trust in your confidence. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Be our own biggest fans. Exactly. In the very beginning, we said it's about focus on making yourself proud and find a way to celebrate when you do. Now that brings me back to creating sustainable confidence, not only Mm -hmm. authentic and creating confidence as such, but making it sustainable. And I think celebrating it or having a system for that is certainly very helpful. What would you recommend to our audience? How can they do that? Because they say find a way that, so there are different ways of celebrating that, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So first of all, finding a way to make ourselves proud, that can be a a micro action. It can say, I'm going to have a conversation with someone and ask for feedback. That's If that feels outside of my comfort zone, I want to celebrate it when I do. I'm going to say, what do I need to do to make myself proud today? I need to have a difficult conversation. Great. How do I want to celebrate what I'm done? And when I ask people that, usually they're like, well, I don't know. And we go to champagne or cake or <laughs> um, it's usually food related, but it can be very small. It can be texting someone who is a champion of mine and tell them I did a difficult thing today. And then I know when people text me, I respond with emojis and I, I'm happy for them. And we take a moment. It can be 10 seconds, but we take a moment and honor that action. Other people like to do a little happy dance, put on some music, 
Other people want to take a walk outside. Other people want to share with their partner. There are infinite ways to celebrate, but if we don't cultivate our own understanding of what are the ways to celebrate that feel best and authentic to me, then we're not creating positive reinforcements for ourselves. And the more we can create positive reinforcement, the more natural it is to step outside our comfort zone because it feels so freaking good when we do it and we do it in a way that makes ourselves proud and then we get to celebrate it. And it's really about the action, not the result. I liked it when you said inspiration is often related to food. So if you do that, when you put on a lot of weight, then you know I'm the most confident person in the world. Because <laughs> yes, so much. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Exactly. But yeah, I like the other ways. There are many ways. And we all know where we feel best. A happy dance, for example, might make someone really, really happy. So that isn't the right tool to celebrate, whereas others need to share. Do you think that sharing it with other people is more powerful than doing a celebration for yourself alone, like a happy dance for yourself, for example? I do think it's more powerful. I do. I think it's good to have a menu of options and to do our best to check in of what feels right right now. Some people need to start with the with just doing it for themselves and then work into celebrating with others because they feel a bit self-conscious at first. But really, what joy we bring to others when we pull them into a moment of celebration, right? What a wonderful gift to them in their day. And so I think that is more powerful. It amplifies and strengthens the, the moment of celebration. Yeah, thank you very much. Time is flying by. I will just wrap up a little bit what we said. Yeah. So in the beginning, when we said building confidence, it's about tracking your history of achievements and of successes, actually starting that. Then it's important to do that in a way that you believe in it as well. Like give yourself the means to really celebrate that things that you have achieved were not easy. They are a true achievement and give yourself the credit for it. Then it was about when I want to step up in a higher role. And in this higher role, I am afraid that if I stay authentic, true to myself, I might not be accepted. How can I gain the courage to go for it? How can I still have the feeling, yes, I can make it? It's about collecting feedback from other people, making an evaluation of your competencies on a subjective level, but also on an emotional level. And then we had a beautiful piece, obviously, when you're there and you want to sustain that, <laughs> whatever it is, the new role or your confidence as such, celebrate it and celebrate little achievements. Again, with the same mindset, when you just track them, do not minimize them, make them big. And just take them as they are. And even you can make it more powerful by sharing it with others. And I know from my own experience, I recently also gave this assignment to a client. I said to her, write a letter of the achievements of the last 12 months. And you do not diminish any of them, but you write them down and you write at least a full page, not huge letters, yeah, full page of a lot of text. And then you go out and read this out to your husband. She said, wow, that's so difficult for me. It's so difficult for me because I can't, you know, it feels like it's it's not true. I said, that's exactly the point because it is true. And you are the only one who believes it isn't. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's so well said. That's so well said. So yes. Miriam, where can people find you? How can they get in contact if you want to do a one-on-one -on -one coaching or, or a training with you? They can find me on LinkedIn. Miriam Mima, M-I-R-I-A-M-M-E-I-M-A, or go to leaderswhosmile.com. And I have that website because I really believe those who, of us who are most confident 
we're most at ease, we take things in strides. And so that's, I think, what we're all aiming for. And so that's what I consider leaders who smile. It's an absolutely lovely URL. I will also put put it into the show notes, obviously, that people find it easily. And I thank you very much, Miriam, for all of these great insights. And I hope that we have inspired today a lot of people around it to be more confident and to show their best because that's for the benefit of all. Thank you very much. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Do you want to get free access to my ebook Top 10 Achievers Lessons? To get your free ebook, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Then send me a screenshot of your review to my email address, contact at ulrikaseminati.com, and I will send you your ebook straight away. This was another episode of Empowering Female Leaders. What are the questions and topics in female leadership that you are interested in? Let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram or join our LinkedIn group. I'm excited to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for new talks with inspiring women from all around the globe. Thank you for listening.